Can I ask you to pray for my voice? Two things are going against me. One, I'm coming off sickness. And two, every time William and the team leads, I have to sing. I, I sing. I sing loud. I enjoy it. And usually I stress out everything up here before I get up here. And, uh, but that's fine. I, heard, I think you heard last week it broke a little bit about halfway through. We made it. Uh, I want to make it this morning, okay? I'll be praying for my voice. Uh, Joshua chapter 1. We're right back to Joshua. I think we're going to finish up this week, unless the Lord takes us in another direction uh, during the week this week. But we have been talking about the fact that we are headed into new places and that we have never been this way before, both as a church and both as individuals. As we've started this year, we've been looking at the, the changes and adjustments we need to make in our life to be able to walk into those new things that God has for us and to be ready for that. And as we walked into that, what we've been doing is looking back at the book of Joshua because this is the story of a period in Israel's history where the people of God were facing what we're facing as a church and as individuals, where God was leading them into a new direction, a new, a new way of worshiping Him. Uh, he's giving them a land. He's promised them for over 40 years now. They've been wandering in the desert all of that time. It was the land He promised when they came out of Egypt. And He promised, I'm going to give these to you. And so He raises up Joshua, and they're ready to cross over the Jordan and begin to conquer these cities one by one and begin to inhabit the land and to begin to hold that land for the Lord that He promised them. And they're, they're not sure how to do this moving forward. They, most of them had never understood anything except desert life, right? I mean, just wandering in the desert. Now they've got to understand occupying land. They have to understand farming again. They have to understand agriculture and all those things. And not just that, they have to understand war. They haven't really been fighting anybody in the desert all that time, but now they're going to face war again. So they've never been this way before. And, jo and, and the Lord says, listen, I have some promises for you that are going to aid you as you move forward. And then he gives them some processes by which they go through and they follow. God says specifically, do these things. Here are the strategies. And as they were obedient, God made provision every single time. And that's absolutely true for what's going to happen with us. These are promises that God made to Joshua and the Israelites as they crossed over the Jordan. But I want you to understand, as people of God who are walking in obedience and trying to walk into the new things God has for us, I believe they're just as applicable today as they were for Joshua and Israel. So when he said things like this, I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, anytime we obey the Lord, anytime we go into a place, he says, listen, I want you to occupy this school or this neighborhood or this business for me, for the kingdom. We can trust as we obey him, he's going to give us those places for his glory. Not our glory, but for his glory. And last week we looked at that, that threefold promise, didn't we, where God said, listen, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you which is really an astounding thing for you and I to think about. As God was with Moses who split the Red Sea and led people out of Egypt and all the plagues and all the battles in the desert, what an astounding thing to think that God would be with us like he was with Moses. But I have news for you. We got an even better deal than Moses. Because Moses had to go find the Lord at the ark. Or Moses had to go sit in the tent and talk with the Lord. Moses had to follow the cloud. Moses had to, to follow the pillar of fire at night. We don't have all that. We have the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, that lives in us. And all the power of God available to us. So when we say, as, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you, God's going to be with us in even better ways than he was with Moses. That's incredible. Then he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. We talked about, listen, enemies will come. Whenever you set out to do the Lord's will, enemies are going to come. People are going to rise up against you. Situations, circumstances are going to rise up against you. It's not that they're not going to come. It's that as we're faithful and we're obedient, nothing is going to be able to withstand us as we walk out what God has called us to do as a community of faith and as individuals. What amazing promises God has for us. And I want to pick right back up in chapter 1 because I want to see in light of the promises God's given us, in light of the promises that if you'll come and you'll get strategies from me, remember Sabiel talked about that on the, the online broadcast, if you'll come to me and you'll get my strategies, then you'll see victory every single time when you're obedient. New ways to attack every single situation that comes. We have to get them one by one. So let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. Let's see what the Lord was asking of Israel after he made those promises and what I believe he's asking of us. I don't think it's any different when the people of God step out into what the Lord has called us to do. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Let's just reiterate some of the things we've already said. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. And I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. And your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. So Lebanon was the northernmost border of Israel still to this day. The nation of Lebanon is the northern border of Israel to the desert. That would be Egypt. So all the way down below the Dead Sea, you have Egypt. Below Israel is the southern border there. And from the great river, the Euphrates, which still today is in the northeast quadrant of Israel, it makes the northeast border. All the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The land moved all the way over to what is the Mediterranean Sea today. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now listen to the command that follows. Here's the promises I've made to you. Now here's what I'm asking of you. Be strong and courageous. Because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Just in case you didn't catch the courage thing. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I want you to get this. He didn't say, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, because I'll put all your enemies under your feet. That's not the reason they didn't have to be afraid or discouraged. He said, don't be afraid or discouraged. Why? 
because the Lord will be with you wherever you go. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The treasure was not that God was going to lay out everything in a smooth pass for them. The treasure is that God's presence was promised to be with them. That's the treasure. That's the real blessing. That's the real benefit that God has promised. I will never leave you or forsake you. So when the opportunity for fear comes, when the opportunity for discouragement comes, I will be with you regardless of what your circumstances are. And I'll just be completely honest with you. Sometimes as a pastor, there are times I just have to sit down. I have to stop thinking about everything that I'm worried about. And I just have to sit with Jesus and say, I just want to be with you for a few minutes. I just want you to speak with me to me. I want you to love on me. I want you to bring your word to my heart and mind. I need you to center me here, right here, Lord. And then I can pick up X, Y, Z, whatever else it is. Sometimes you just have to sit in this presence and claim this promise. I'll be with you wherever you go. So as a body of believers, we're stepping into new things. We're praying. We're asking the Lord, what's next? What does he have for us? You as individuals are doing that in your family. I've seen you taking these faith steps and really some amazing things. I'm so proud of you. The way you're stepping out on faith and honoring the Lord with big and small decisions. And my question is this. Now that God's given us his promises, now that he's shown us how we can listen to him and he'll lay out his plan for us, what is going to be required of you and us? What's going to be required of me and required of you if we're going to be prosperous and successful in the things that the Lord has called us to do. I want to encourage you to write a few things down. You've got your notes there because we, we have to sit before the Lord and we have to deal with Him on obedience and commitment. Are we going to be willing to embrace these things that He asks of us and they'll be required of us if we're going to be successful and prosperous in what God calls us to do? So number one, what will be required of us? One, we're going to have to get strong and we're going to have to stay strong. We're going to have to get strong and we're going to have to stay strong. I think understanding spiritual strength is kind of the low-hanging fruit in this passage. But I want to challenge us on this end too. We need to learn how to get physically stronger too. We need to learn how to get mentally stronger. We need to learn how to get emotionally stronger. Uh, all of us struggle with different levels of strength and weakness at different times in our life, different seasons in our life. And that's why we have wonderful doctors. We have wonderful physical therapists. We have friends to lean on and family members and things like that. But we have to be on our guard and begin to think about our physical strength, our mental strength, our emotional strength, just like we think about our spiritual strength. Because I want to say something to you. Your mental and physical and emotional strength can directly impact your spiritual strength. And if we leave those areas unguarded, we leave those areas unguarded, it can wound us spiritually and set us back in the things that God has for us. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the ways in which we got to get stronger and we got to stay stronger? Listen, I don't, I don't know if you figured this out, if you've ever lifted weights or you've, ever, uh, you've been a runner at some point in your life or whatever else it is. Maybe, maybe you chop wood all day long and you were good with an axe. Whatever else. Here's what I figured out. I hope you've learned too. It's hard to get strong. Like, it's hard. It's hard to lift weight. It's hard to lift more weight. It's hard to run further and longer. It's hard to, to swing an axe longer and further. It's hard. it's hard to get strong. It's also 
hard to get strong again when you were strong and then you you lost something you have to get back ever been there like you were benching 300 because you're awesome i've never been 300 by the way I, i'm not even sure i can bench 30 i'll be honest with you but but maybe you're benching 300 and then something happened you pulled something or you got out of it by the time you figure that out you get back and 175 felt like you're moving a mountain it's hard to get strong it's hard to get back strong you know what's easier than getting back strong is staying strong like staying strong like figuring out ways to to maintenance yourself mentally physically emotionally so that you can stay strong when you feel stress building up in your life having conversations with people who care about you Learning how to manage that. Learning how to deal with the emotional issues that you're facing. Learning how to cry. Guys, sometimes you've got to get some stuff out. When I'm stressed, I laugh. It's just what happens. I don't mean to laugh, but sometimes it gets so overwhelming for me. I laugh, and it's not funny. It's never. It's really something stupid, but it overwhelms me, and I'll just start laughing. That's how I know I'm stressed out. When something really dumb makes me just overwhelmingly laugh, I know I'm stressed out. Maybe for you it's crying. Maybe, what, maybe you got to punch something. Maybe, I, don't punch a person, but don't, don't punch a wall, but go punch a punching bag or, or something. Whatever it takes to get those things out, we have to deal with that stuff. When we feel ourselves in a mental weak place, we're tired, or when we're just angry or whatever else it is, we have to find outlets for that that are healthy for us. And physically, we have to find ways to make sure we maintain our strength physically. Physically. All of those things build into our spiritual strength. And I want to build on this a little bit more. So under that point, I, I want to expand on a little bit by saying this. A believer's strength comes from recognizing our weaknesses and acting. Our strength comes from recognizing our weaknesses and acting. It's not enough just to figure out that something is not right in your body. You have to act on it. It's not enough to realize that mentally I feel like I'm a little fragile right now. You have to act on it. You have to do something. So I have bad feet, and I have, bad, I have real bad flat feet. And so I didn't do a lot of athletic stuff when I was younger. And um, anytime I tried to run, it really hurt my feet real bad, my knees real bad, my ankles real bad. So I just kind of stayed away from all that. Until a few years ago, a friend of mine said, hey, you need to go get these inserts, these custom-made inserts where they, they mold to your feet and just to your foot and you put them in your shoes and just see how that goes for you and so i bit the bullet and i went and he measured my foot and got him made and i put him in my shoe and do you know my my knee pain and my ankle pain and my feet pain went away and then i started running and like i could run a mile and then i could run two miles I could run three miles. I could run four miles. It was, it was good. It was all good. That, that, that little adjustment, just that little fix, got me to a place where physically I was able to do something that I wasn't able to do before. I had to pay attention to my pain. I had to listen to somebody else counsel me on that. I had to work with them on that. When we find places of weakness, we have to act on it. We can't just let it fester. We can't just let it build. Because what I have found is places of weakness that you don't act on become bigger places of weakness. And then we, we find ourselves sidelined. We find ourselves crippled in the things of the Lord, the things of life. Those things happen. When we see a weakness, we have to act on it. 
Look at what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Flip to the right in your Bible. The writer of Hebrews spends an entire chapter talking about the process that God goes through to teach us discipline and to teach us holiness. And he talks about resisting temptation, standing up in the face of persecution. And then he gets to this part where he's, he's talked about all these things that God wants to build into our lives when it comes to discipline. Then he gets down to verse 11, and listen to what he says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. No joke. I mean, if you start running, you've never run before. It hurts. It hurts fast. I mean, lungs are burning. You're like, why am I doing this? You start lifting weights, it hurts. When you say no to that Twinkie, it hurts. It hurts the first couple times. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So when we physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually discipline ourselves, look at the harvest that comes to us. Righteousness, meaning we're in a connected, right relationship with the Lord. We're able to maintain that and sustain that. But also peace. I can lay my head down at night and go to sleep. I can deal with the stresses that come my way. I can deal with the difficulties of life better when I watch those areas, when I learn discipline in my life, verse 12 and 13. So here's the feedback. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Strengthen them. When you recognize a weakness, do something about it. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Meaning, if I recognize a weakness, take action. Because if you don't, and you're not careful about where you walk and how you walk, you can end up doing more damage than just the weakness. My buddy Brian John just had ACL surgery. And Brian is not up there anymore. But Brian was up there during the worship thing. And I was like, how'd you get up there? Because he's got a, like a brace, like from here to like here. And he played congos for us this morning. I guess he came down when I prayed. You made it down. Good. He just had an ACL surgery. That was, that was a major tear of a ligament. He had to have surgery to repair it. Fortunately, he knows a couple of physical therapists. They live in the house with him. They're pretty good at what they do. That works out really good. But he's at a place with that ACL. That, that's a place of weakness. It's going to be for a few weeks, a few months. So because he knows that and his physical therapy parents know that, they work with him to get a brace from here to here. Why? To support that weakness, right? And it's not just that he can't walk, he can walk, but they don't want him stepping in a way that turns or pulls or, or moves that reconstructed ACL joint in a wrong way where it could re-injure itself. It takes time to build that strength back up. He's having to do physical therapy. He's having to get stronger. But there's going to come a place he's not going to need that. He's, he's going to be stronger. He's going to be able to run and do all of this stuff again. That's going to happen. But from there to here, you have to guard and recognize that weakness. You're the same way spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. God gives you a great gift in your life. It's called pain. Pain is your wake-up call. Pain is God getting your attention. Do something about it. I wonder how many times when someone comes in for physical therapy with Paul, and they, he says, what's bothering you? And they say, well, this is, this is hurting. I wonder how many times when he says, well, how long has it been hurting? I wonder how many times. Oh, I don't know, two years now. Ever, that ever happened, Paul? 
And you know what Paul probably thinks, because I know physical therapists, he's probably thinking, why didn't you come in a year and nine months ago if it was hurting? We tend to not go see Paul until something snaps or we feel something pop or whatever else it is. But we don't pay attention to the little things that show weakness. And listen, if, if you're dealing with emotional pain, that's a wake-up call for you. It's a wake-up call for you to get help. Maybe you need to see a counselor. This pastor has seen a counselor multiple times. It's one of the best investments I've ever done in my life. There's no shame in going to someone who can help you talk through a problem, pray with you, read the Word of God, and help you get focused in on something again. There's no shame in that. Sometimes you just have to pick up a phone and call somebody and say, listen, emotionally, I'm just feeling, my word for me is I feel a little fragile today. I feel like it's fine, but I feel like one person could say something. Like, ah! I feel a little fragile. So let, talk that through. Let's pray. Let's talk whatever else it is. I'll, I've, I've shared this with you before. You've probably heard this if you've been here. But, but for pastors, for pastors, Saturday at about noon to about Monday at about noon, we're wide open to the enemy's attacks. We're wide open. I'm never shocked at what happens between Saturday at noon and Monday at noon because either something will happen before I'm trying to get in a pulpit and preach or something happens after I've gotten out of a pulpit and preached. It's never the same thing. It's never all the time. It's never. But when it comes, it comes. Last Sunday was one of those days. From the time I got out of the pulpit to Monday morning, it was about 25 little things that all just kind of happened all at once one after another. It wasn't anything major. I mean, nobody shot me. I didn't get attacked in the street or anything like that, but it was all these little things that kept coming up, and by the time 10 o'clock Sunday night rolled around, you can ask my wife, by the time 10 o'clock Sunday night rolled around, I was done. I mean, I was done. I woke up Monday morning. I was still kind of reeling from that. I went and worked out because got to get some of that out, right? Went and worked out, got ready for work. Still kind of feeling it, though. Heather kind of felt it a little bit. The kids felt it a little bit, the way I interacted with them. So I came to the office, and I didn't jump on email. I didn't jump on this week's sermon. I didn't jump on what we were doing at staff meeting. I, I sent out a text, and I sent out an email. I sent out a text to about eight or nine different pastors that I'm friends with who absolutely understand what pastors go through. And I say, listen, it's just one of those mornings. It's been one of those 24 hours. Will you just pray for me this morning? And some I sent, and before I could send the next one, my phone rang. And they're like, hey, can I pray with you? Sure. Stop and pray. Then I sent an email to our elders, and I said, listen, nothing major, but there's a bunch of stuff. It's just one of those days. Would you pray for me? Because they're my spiritual covering, just like they're yours. And you know what? Then I sat, and I took some time with the Lord. I shut the door. I closed down everything. I turned off the computer, and Jesus and I just sat, and we talked. And I worshiped, and I read the word, and I prayed. And this is why I had to take the time to do that. I knew I was vulnerable. I could feel it. I could feel my emotions there. I could feel spiritually I was rattled. I could feel that. I also had a staff meeting at noon. I had other meetings I had to go through the afternoon. I didn't want to walk into any of those things with that vulnerability and lashing out at anybody, which you know can happen. You know that can happen. So I had to recruit people to pray, and I had to take time with the Lord. And praise the Lord, he pulled me out of that. And then he gave me grace in those meetings. And he pulled me out of that. And fortunately, Tuesday's my day off, and I got to rest and read and do all that. And by the time Tuesday was over, it was good. 
but I'm your pastor, and I had to recognize my weakness, and I had to act. I had to do something. Is it fun to have to email our elders and say, listen, I feel spiritually vulnerable this morning? Is that fun? No, it's not fun. I, I want to, I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be encouraging them spiritually. I'm supposed to be encouraging you. But if, if I'm not going to own my weakness in that, and I'm not going to take action, then I fall prey to the enemy. I fall prey there, and you will too. So I want to challenge you. The next thing to think about is this. A believer's strength comes from allowing our weaknesses to move us to dependence. Our strength comes when we allow our weaknesses to move us to dependence. This is what Paul said. I want you to flip to the left in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's talking about all these amazing things that the Lord Jesus seemed to do. But then Paul gets vulnerable, and I really appreciate it. Because the guy who planted churches all over what we would call Turkey now, the guy who wrote 12 books in the New Testament, was wrestling with something. And we don't know what it was. He just called it his thorn in the flesh. We don't know if it was a physical issue. We don't know if it was a spiritual attack. We don't know exactly what it is. But he was wrestling with it. And he asked God. He said, listen, God, this is hindering my walk. It's hindering my ministry. It's hindering my life. I'm asking you to take this thorn from me. I'm asking you to remove it. He said three different times, I asked the Lord to take this thorn from me. And look at what God's response was. Second Corinthians chapter 12, down to verse 9. God's response was this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Would you take your pen and underline that last part? It is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, not only do I mind being weak and mind being vulnerable, I delight in it. Here's why. Because when I'm weak, when I'm vulnerable, when those things come, it is an opportunity for the one who is not vulnerable and not weak, the Lord Jesus himself, to send his power and to live his life through me and to cover my weaknesses. It's an opportunity. So I delight in weakness and insult and hardship and persecution and difficulty. Why? Because when I'm weak, then what? Then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. Our world tells you the exact opposite. That when you're weak, you're useless. That when you're weak, there's nothing for you. That when you're weak, you should be sidelined. That when you're weak, it's over. Scripture says the opposite. When you're weak, it's the best chance for God's power to work through you. Because when you're weak, you stay out of his way. When you're strong, we take all the credit. And we're like, praise God how good this family's going. Man, I've really been working hard at it. But when you're mentally, emotionally, and physically weak, and things start going awesome in your family, and you know you're weak, then you're like, Jesus, thanks for keeping me out of the way. Here's one of the, the best things that ever happened to me as a pastor. I got COVID the week of Christmas last year. The week of Christmas when we're supposed to be doing Christmas Eve service, and when we're supposed to be doing all these different things at the church, like one of our busiest seasons. And I had to stay in a bedroom for 10 days by myself, and I'm a people person. You know me. I'm a people animal. And I had limited contact with people except when my wife would pick up bowls of soup 
from the floor and replace them with bowls of cereal or whatever else it was. That's what it was for 10 days. And you know what was great about that? God said, I don't need you to get my kingdom going. I'm fine. I got it covered. And he, he gave me 10 days away from work to prove that. And you know what? Everything's fine. Train didn't fall apart. It was good. I mean, we missed the candlelight service, but it, it was good. We figured it out. The Lord knew what he was doing. Places of weakness remind us of his power. So number two, I know that number one had three parts, but this is number two. Number two, what's going to be required of us? The courage to face our fears and act in spite of them. The courage to face our fears and act in spite of them. Not only do you need strength, you're going to have to have courage. Um, Things are going to get tough. Can I just uh, clear up a fog for you that I see in a lot of believers? We believe if we walk in faith and we walk in obedience and we do what God tells us to do, that fear is never going to come into our life. And then what happens is we get afraid because something happens, and then we feel like we're a failure in the kingdom of God because we feel fear. I want to say something to you. If God had to command Joshua to be courageous three different times, there was a guarantee that fear was going to come his way. Does that make sense? You don't have to command someone to be be courageous if they're not going to face fear. You command them to be courageous because they're going to face fear. Right? Just like last week, remember we talked about the promises? Why does God give us promises? Promises are the proof that you're going to need them. He makes you promises because you're going to need them. He tells you to be courageous because fear is going to come. Fear is not the enemy. It's not the enemy. Allowing the fear to sit us on the sidelines is the problem. When we feel the fear and we allow it to keep us from what God's called us to do, that's the problem. We're called to be people of courage. And I don't know, if you're paying attention, we're going to need more courage in the kingdom of God in the years to come, not less. I mean, the, the, the way of the world is not stacking up in our favor right now. It's moving progressively more and more against what we believe, what we treasure, what we stand for. We're going to need more courage, not less. It's going to get hard. But our God is just as good as he's always been. He's the same God that, that broke down the walls of Jericho. He's the same God that got them in the promised land, defeated every enemy when they were obedient. He's the same God. He gave them courage. He'll give you courage too. We have to respond in courage. A friend of mine uh, learned how to skydive. More power to him, because if you ever see this pastor in a plane, you know Jesus really got a hold of my life if I'm going to jump out of a plane. But he said, I was afraid of heights, but I felt like this is what I wanted to do. And so he decided the way, the only way he felt comfortable is one of his good friends was a para-jumper in the military and was someone who just trained other military personnel to jump out of planes. That's all he did. That was his job. So he was a master jumper. And he said, if I'm going up, I'm going up with him. He, he knows what he's doing. If I'm going to jump out of a plane with a knapsack on my back, I'm going to do it with him. So he said, we're going up, we're flying up, and he'd done all the classes, and he's flying up. And, and he said, now here's the thing. When I open the door, we've got to stand right there at the door for just a minute. And you're going to be terrified. But do it anyway. And he was like, we didn't have that talk. Until you're in the plane, then you're going up. He's like, okay, okay, okay. 
And he says, sure enough, you know, they're a little tandem hooked up, you know, and he kind of waddles him out to the door, you know, and he's just, and he has to lean him over the door, and he's like, I was filled with terror. But what he told him was this, you're going to be terrified, but feel the fear and then do it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Because as soon as you get out of the plane, I promise you it's going to be the best feeling of your life. And he said, I, he waddled me up to the edge. It was literally the scariest I've ever been in my entire life. The worst feeling I've ever had in my entire life. Then I felt him push us out. And it quickly became one of the best feelings of my entire life. You have to feel the fear. And you have to do it anyway. The faith walk is not the absence of fear. It's the presence of Jesus in the midst of your fear. And that's why the gift, the real gift, is not the promise of victory. The gift is the promise of his presence. You know, when my kids are afraid at night, the best way to deal with their fear is not to say, listen, there's nothing in your closet, go to sleep. The best way to deal with it is for me to sit right there on the bed with them until they go to sleep. Because presence changes everything, right? Even when the fear feels overwhelming, someone else's presence can change everything. It's the same for us. Number three, what's going to be required of us? Learning to prioritize the Word of God. Learning to prioritize the Word of God. The Lord said it this way to Joshua. He said, don't let this book of the law depart from your lips, but meditate on it day and night so that you may... Obey everything in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now I want to make sure I put this in the right context, okay? When God told Joshua, I want you to meditate on this book of the law, what he's talking about is basically the book of Deuteronomy. Because Moses, over that 40 years wandering the desert, had written down Genesis through God's revelation. He tells Moses what had happened before Moses came along. Then he starts writing down what God did during the Exodus. So we get the book of Exodus. He writes down the laws that God gave them at Mount Sinai, which that's at the end of Exodus, the book of Leviticus. Then he writes down Numbers, which is the history of them traveling in the wilderness for that 40 years. And then Deuteronomy is a unique book because at the end of that 40 years, what God said was, I want you to take all the things that I've done, and I want you to put them in a real con conceptualized little, little document. And I want you to write down what I've commanded my people, and I want you to give that to them. And Deuteronomy, and I put it in your notes, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 44 through chapter 5, verse 2. That's the little story of God telling Moses, I want you to write this down. And the rest of Deuteronomy is the recapping of what happened in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So when God says to Joshua, I want you to have the book of the law on your lips and meditate on it day and night. That was God's command to Joshua. He was talking about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was the revelation of God's to the people of God in that moment. But you got it so much better than Moses and Joshua had. You got it so much better. Because what Joshua had to meditate on was the first five books of the Bible in Deuteronomy. You got the whole of Scripture 
you find out what happened to Joshua and Judges and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these guys, and, and then Jesus comes along, and then what Jesus did, then the Holy Spirit falls, and Paul and the church, you have, you have this full word of God. You, you have it so much better than Joshua. And what Joshua had to meditate was on Deuteronomy. I'm challenging you. You need to learn and meditate on the word of God, the whole Bible. Hide it in your heart. So that when fear comes, you can say Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll be your strength and your help. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. You need verses like that when fear comes. You need fear comes when you don't know which way to go. And Isaiah 30, verse 21 says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. you got to be able to take promises like that. So I'll make you a deal. You got a going deeper this week. I love to give you the going deepers because I think it helps you beyond today. I'm going to go the extra mile this week, okay? Every day this week, I'm going to videotape just a little video of sitting down and walking through how to meditate on Scripture. Every single day, like five to ten minutes, I'm just going to walk through how to meditate on a piece of Scripture. I know some of you know how to do that, but some of you don't. You don't know how to, and that's okay. If you find an area of weakness, what do you do? You act. You do something. We're going to place it on our Facebook page. We'll place it on our website. Would you just take time to sit down and let's meditate on the passage of Scripture together so that we can obey and we can prioritize the Word of God? Because that's what's going to be required of us. If we're going to obey the Lord and what's moving forward, we got to know the Word. We don't need to know Dr. Phil. We don't need to know what the newspaper says or Google. Those are all cool. But you got to know the Word. Because the Word is eternal. It doesn't shift. And number four, what's going to be required of us? Here's the hard one. You ready? Thorough obedience. Thorough obedience. We've been talking about discipleship. And if everything I could say about becoming a disciple of Jesus, I'll boil it down to one word. Obedience. What separates a disciple of Jesus Christ from anyone else is not knowledge or experience or more spiritual power here. Here's what separates. A disciple is obedient. And I want to challenge us to learn how to be thoroughly obedient. So what's, what's thorough obedience? There's four parts. You ready? Number one, it's willing obedience. Willing obedience. When I was a kid, and mom would say, take out the trash, because that was my job. I often obeyed, because I feared the wrath of my godly mother. I was not willingly obeying that. I was begrudgingly obeying that, Right? I was obeying because I had to. I was obeying because I was afraid of what my mom was going to do. I was afraid of punishment, whatever else it is. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our life. That the Holy Spirit will move our heart to willing obedience when it comes to the Lord. And here's how that happens. When we know the Lord, we will love the Lord. When we love the Lord, we will willingly obey the Lord, not begrudgingly. Willing obedience is the first part of thorough obedience. The second part is this, immediate obedience. Parents, can I get an amen? Immediate obedience. Go brush your teeth. 25 minutes later, 
Have you brushed your teeth? Oh, oh. Go brush your teeth. Twelve minutes from that, that statement. Have you brushed your teeth? Oh, oh. Go brush your teeth. Like immediately, when God speaks to us, not delaying in our obedience. When we clearly understand what he has us to do, we, we do it. We do it out of love for him. We do it out of respect for him. We do it out of the fear of the Lord. We immediately obey when he tells us to do something. Third part of thorough obedience. Complete obedience. Complete obedience. So when you say to your child, did you get ready for school? Ready for school means I have my clothes on. I have cleaned my body. I have eaten my breakfast. My school stuff is together. I am ready for school. Are you ready for school? Absolutely. But when they're talking to you, you smell their breath, and you know they didn't brush your teeth. You can see their rooster hair shooting up where they hadn't brushed their hair. And you're like, did you brush your hair? Oh, no, no. Okay, then go brush your hair. Com- complete obedience. When the Lord speaks to us, if he speaks to us the area we have to act, we act financially and intentionally and physically and, and everything he would command us to do. Complete obedience. Don't leave anything out. Allow the Lord to be thorough with what he's calling us to do and obey him. And last is this. Here's the hard one. Sustained obedience. Not just willing, not just immediate, not just complete, but sustained obedience. What Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. What a beautiful picture of discipleship. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what God calls us to. That's hard. But I want to say something to you. I think God's going to do amazing things in this church. I think God's going to do amazing things in you. I've seen what he's laying before you. But there's a lot that's going to be required of you. Getting strong and staying strong. Being courageous in the face of fear. Prioritizing the word of God. And thorough obedience. Listen, none of that determines your salvation. You're saved because of the blood of Jesus. The grace that's been poured out on you, that's not going to change no matter what you do. But it does determine your effectiveness in the kingdom. You with me? We're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about your effectiveness in the kingdom. I want to see us effective for him in the kingdom. The praise team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a final song. This is a chance for the Holy Spirit to do any kind of business as if he hasn't already been doing it anyway. This is a chance for us to, to internalize what he's doing, what he's saying to us. Maybe we need to write it down, take a few action steps, whatever it is. This is a chance for us to respond in any way that he wants us to or make a plan to respond when we leave this place. So let's stand together and let's respond to him.